There's an old story about a young couple who had recently gotten married, and it was Thanksgiving, and they were about to cook their first turkey. As the young woman was going about preparations, she began to prepare the turkey the way she knew how to do. And the young husband came into the kitchen and said, "Um, I don't mean to disturb, but why do you cut it like that? And she said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, you're, you're not only cutting off the, uh, the, the legs and the arms of the turkey, but also this other cut in a funny way and putting it all in another pan. Why do you do that? And she said, well, I do it because that's the way one cooks a turkey. That's the way I learned from my mother. Well, a few weeks later, they saw the larger family, and the, the new husband couldn't resist. And so he went up to the mother, and he said, by the way... When you cook a turkey, do you cut it in this sort of odd way to cook it and put other parts in another pan? And she said, absolutely, that's the way one cooks a turkey. And he said, well, why do you do it that way? And she said, well, because my mother said to. That's the way my mother cooks it. You can imagine what happened next. He looked for the grandmother, and he went straight to her. And he said, can you tell me why your family cooks a turkey the way it does. And the grandmother said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, you know, my wife and, and, and uh, her mother seem to cut off these parts and do this certain thing. And the grandmother burst out laughing, and she said, well, that's not the way I cook a turkey. She said, that's what I did 30 years ago, because I only had one pan, and it's the only way the turkey would fit. <laughs> How many times do we do particular things through habit or practice uh, without really thinking about why we do it? We do it because that's the way it's done. But then if we were to examine that just a little bit, why is it done that way? Is there a reason or is there not Sometimes practices and rules and regulations begin for very good reasons, but then sometimes they lose their connection to reality. And then the rules themselves become the focus, and people forget the meaning behind. Maybe there are rules in the kitchen, or rules around work, or rules in church. Sometimes the words of Jesus are are murky and hard to understand. Today's gospel is not like that, is it? It's very direct. We can hear exactly what Jesus is saying. Don't place a higher value on rule-keeping than on living out what is important. It's not the outside things that matter, the appearances and the customs. That that amounts to nothing. It's the inside stuff that counts. Of course, in this reading today that we just heard, Jesus begins by dealing with the the dedicated religious of his day, the Pharisees and the the scribes. Um, They get a bad rap in the Gospels. Jesus always seems to be um, criticizing them. We have to look closer to see that some of those who became his followers and friends, like Nicodemus, were actually among the Pharisees. 
The Pharisees probably were a lot like some of us. The Pharisees were were taking things seriously. They were trying to follow in the way of God. Um, They knew scripture and tradition and reason, and they tried to make it all one, and they tried to pattern their lives after it. Many of the Pharisees uh, gave to other people in a sacrificial way. They did what they could to help those less fortunate. Most of the Pharisees were probably very, very good people, But some had made the rules and the rituals the focus. Then they'd forgotten why. From their point of view, when they see Jesus, they just see Jesus taking religious shortcuts. He seems to be um, disrespecting tradition, not even knowing the tradition in some cases. And so in today's gospel, the Pharisees and scribes are noticing how Jesus and his followers don't properly wash their hands before eating. It gets worse if you follow along in the gospels. Not only does Jesus not wash his hands properly, but then he eats with all the wrong people, with the tax collectors and the prostitutes and those who'd been thrown out of the synagogue. Mark, the gospel writer, gives us a little more about the background of these folks. He talks about how the Pharisees don't eat unless they thoroughly wash their hands in a particular way, and they keep lots of dietary rules, which in and of themselves are not the problem. They're only the problem when they blind those who keep them to the deeper meaning. The Pharisees were were good people who tried to to live out their faith as best they could. The scribes as well were sort of the archivists of the day. They took care of the texts and made sure that they could be conveyed and, and passed on to other people. But Jesus makes his point clear, doesn't he? There is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile, but the things that come out are what defile. For it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come. And then Jesus goes on with that whole long list of evil things that might possibly come out of us. And so the question sort of hangs in the air for us. Are there ways in which our rules, our, our order, our ritual, our procedures create barriers between people and God? I remember some years ago down at St. Bartholomew's Church on Park Avenue, uh, Reverend Bill Tully was building that place like, um, like there's no tomorrow. And the Bishop of New York heard that Reverend Tully was inviting everyone in the room to receive Holy Communion. And so the bishop wrote a very polite letter to the priest saying, uh, let me remind you that the, the rules and regulations, the canons of the Episcopal Church, say that all baptized Christians may receive communion. And so the next Sunday morning, Bill Tully stood right in the front of his church and he said, the Bishop of New York reminds me that all baptized people may receive communion. Therefore, if anyone would like to be baptized on the way to communion, meet me at the font. (laughs) He baptized four or five people that morning. (laughs) Now, while Bill Tully might have been pushing the boundaries a little stronger than I would have the courage to do, he makes a point that Jesus makes, doesn't he? To what extent do our rules and processes blind us to the central message of invitation, of joy, of welcome? Jesus says it's not what we put into our bodies that get us into trouble so much as what comes out. Be doers of the word and not merely hearers 
James echoes the same sentiment. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. James thunders forth. It doesn't matter how well you're keeping your prayers or or keeping the Ten Commandments if you're ignoring those in need around you. And yet it's easy to get caught up in the outward form of religion or piety or practice. Some years ago, I had been ordained a priest maybe a month or so. And I had to celebrate um, a a simple Eucharist at the Church of St. Mary the Virgin, where I was serving. And this famous friend of the church, the Reverend Dr. Lewis Weil, was visiting. And Dr. Weil wrote books on liturgy and worship and church history. He knows everything. He's well regarded in in Rome and everywhere else he goes. He's he's the real deal. (laughs) I was terrified. (laughs) I knew he would be at this service. And so I practiced. I looked at my notes. I, I, I tried to memorize as much of the prayer book service as I could so that I wouldn't be kind of a slave to the text. I went through my motions again. I made sure all the, the various dishes or vessels were where they needed to be. And so I made it through this Eucharist. At the end, I greeted the 10 or 11 people who were there. <laughs> and then I saw Father Weil. And I went over to him and I said, Father Weil, I I hope things went okay. I would be grateful if you could tell me if I missed something or did something in an an irritating way or a strange way. Um, How was my pacing? How was my orance, my prayer posture? Um, Did I I turn at just the right time? And, And did I use the right prayer because I chose to use this one? And he stopped me. He said, John, I didn't notice. I was here to worship. In his wonderful, loving teacher's way, he brought me down to size and right back to where I needed to be. That other stuff didn't matter. What mattered was that we were together celebrating the love of God, eating and drinking in the tradition that Jesus shared with his disciples and friends. In the sacristy of that same church, for a little while, we had a little poster that someone had translated into Latin. But if you knew the translation, it basically said, all were fed and no one got hurt. We tried to remember that's the bottom line. And so if a candle goes out or someone spills the wine or we forget something or turn the wrong way or or come in late or come in too early, it doesn't matter. God is praised. This gospel, I think, tries to speak to each of us, no matter where we may be in the religious spectrum. If we've been in church for a while, um, maybe the gospel is inviting us to examine some of our practices. Some of those things we do by memory, by habit, by rote, maybe by dedication, uh, do we do them because of good reasons? Do we do them in ways that expands the kingdom of God and deepens our faith in Christ? Or do we do them for reasons we can't remember anymore? And perhaps it's time to move into a new direction. 
Or if you're new to the Episcopal Church or to so-called organized religion, I always say if people saw how we really did things, they wouldn't use that term. But if you're new to the Episcopal Church or or worship um, and you're worried about why some people are crossing themselves or or nodding at certain things or, or doing this or doing that or standing or kneeling, don't worry. There's plenty of time to learn about that. There's a lifetime if you're interested in that. There are books. There are classes. The point is that we draw closer to Jesus Christ, that we learn to love one another, and we share that love in the world. That's the point of what we do and who we are. There's an ancient prayer from Salisbury, England that has been used for centuries to try to center God's people. It's sometimes sung and sometimes prayed. May it be our prayer as we seek always to integrate what's inside with what comes outside. May God be in our head and in our understanding. May God be in our eyes and in our looking May God be in our mouth and in our speaking. May God be in our heart and in our thinking. May God be at our end and at our departing. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.